Lingard is joining in, and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! For Kyle Saka, beaten out by the roof, and touched in by Jesus! Kyle Saka! Hello and welcome to the Bruised Banana FC podcast where we've got a lot to talk about, a lot, a lot to talk about and I'm very, very lucky to be joined by two really, really great people today. So first person I'm being joined by is Drew, who is here a lot. You've probably heard him a lot. Drew, how are you, my friend? Uh, I'm really good. I'm excited. I think like the majority of the Arsenal fan base lately. So uh, it's good to, good to be able to get into the chat today and uh, good to get to talk to you boys again. Nice. And we have a, a podcast debut um, from our long-standing friends from the, the Twitterverse. We have Varun that's joining for his first ever Bruce Man FC podcast. Varun, how are you doing, my friend? Oh, on cloud nine. The last 48 <laughs> hours in particular have been insane, haven't they? I thought you were talking about the phone. <laughs> I thought you were being like facetious, like, oh, I'm so glad to be here. But no, we've actually got stuff to be happy about. We've talked about it, yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, I'm happy to be here too. That too, but uh, you know, just in general, with everything that's going on right now, that, yeah. Uh, and I think it's, we have it's to start there, really, don't we? Yeah, we have to start there. Where it just it, it feels like at this point of the transfer market, the club have finally said, "Okay, no more Mister Rice guy," and that good things are on the horizon. And when I saw someone wait, take this more, mic away, more, no. more. <laughs> and when I saw the tweet, it was so beautiful. I couldn't believe my rice. Right. So, anybody, without any further ado, Drew, anyone listening? What's your out reaction there? to signing Kai Havertz? First of all, anyone listening out <laughs> no. there, place place your bets now on how many puns are going to be made. I've got this. loads. I've got loads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly. Save them, save them for yeah. the season. Uh, but my overall, yeah. my, my overall thoughts, just kind of base level. Um, and we were kind of talking before we started uh, recording the podcast. Just for me, I love the statement signing, and I think it's clear that you know, from the minute uh, our rice just really kind of firmed up that it was clear that this is a player that both Arteta and Adu really wanted as part of one of those core pieces to revolutionize and evolutionize the project to the next step. And I think when you see how close we got last season to actually almost pipping City to the title, it was clear that, you know, we, we've said this for years, we're just one or two players away, we're just one or two players away. And I think a lot of that was maybe ourselves selling something to ourselves rather than it being actually the case. But I think now we are at that point where we generally can add someone like a Douglas Rice and you know, like a Kai Harvitz, a Urian Timber into the mix and then that don't, that might just get us one step closer. We don't know, obviously, but overall, um, I love the business. For me, it kind of irons out how we might look moving forward tactically. Uh, again, and as another part of uh, our tennis evolution of how we play. Um, but my only reservation, like we talked about, is the fee, and not because I don't think that you know premiums come with top players now. It's more of expectations come with those fees. So when you look at 100 million pound signing there's a very few amount of those in world football history. And then when you look at the types of players that those have come with and the success rate of those players regarding the fee and how they've produced, that's for me, I think is going to be where a lot of the discourse could either be hit and miss, you know, and maybe say the Twitterverse next season. Rice has to be brilliant for a lot of fans to not all of a sudden 
two months in, say we wasted 100 million pounds on, on a dud, you know what I mean? So that for me is my only concern. But overall, I think he's the type of player we need to, to move forward. Uh, and I'm happy the club actually stood up and, and saw themselves be counted against City's financial nonsense that they decided to pull every season. So, yeah, I'm quite happy about it. Yeah, and one of the things I think you've referenced when you're talking about these massive, massive fee deals is you don't really talk about the fee if the player lives up to the expectation, you know? So, of course, 100 million or 105 million is a lot of money. So probably the next thing we'll do is, is Varun, your debut on the podcast. When a player goes for this kind of money, what do you think the player has to do? And I realize it's a very general thing. What does the player have to do to justify that kind of price? Uh, I think generally when a player moves for that kind of a fee, um, it's usually a big name. Like Drew mentioned, there's very few players out there with that kind of a price tag on them. Um, but I guess the one thing that the player has to do is endear themselves to the fan base. And thankfully for Declan Rice, he's already done that. Um, you know, the fact that it's been fairly public knowledge from the reliable journalists that Rice has told West Ham and most suitors that he preferred to come to us. Um, and I think that's already won him a lot of plaudits within the fan base. Um, that being said, he's also someone that most Premier League fans have seen over the last few years. Um, you know, with West Ham in a side that, with all respect to them, were not necessarily progressing the way we have, for example, in the last couple of years and have struggled a little more. Rice has. Uh, stood out there in that midfield. He's still been the spark for West Ham. And basically, he just needs to carry those standards to us because the way he played with them is exactly how he needs to play with us. And he's still, we have to remember, he's young, right? He's 24. There will be a little bit of pressure moving to a club of the stature of Arsenal. And sometimes that can get to players. You know, not everybody can be a Bukayo Saka that just grabs every single challenge by the scruff of the neck and then runs with it. Um, so we have to be a little bit lenient, but uh, generally he just needs to make sure that he endears himself to us, which he's already well on the way to do. Yeah, it already feels like he's a fan favourite, to be fair. And I had a really interesting conversation on Twitter yesterday with um, with someone I follow called Jack Barnes, where we were talking about the Van Dyke sign of Liverpool. And I can't remember the exact fee he went for. It was between like, what, 18, 85 million and he said he was going back on some of the podcasts that were going around at the time. And pretty much all the people talking about that deal at the time were not sold on it. Like they were a bit unsure. Like at that point, that's a lot of money for a centre back. Not only a centre back that at that point had only played up to a mid table level, which you can draw parallels with Rice for, a player that hadn't played for Southampton for a while because he'd kind of been relegated because of supposed attitude um, issues. I think there's a lot of what you could could have called red flags at the time. And then Van Dyke went on to win the Champions League. He went on to win the Premier League. Arguably, he went on to become, for at least a period of time, the best centre-back in the world. Um, so I think that there's amazing parallels to be drawn in that signing and this signing here, where Man City wanted Van Dyke, but Liverpool were able to convince him that Liverpool was the best place to go for him, the same way that Man City wanted Declan Rice, but we were able to convince Declan Rice that we're the right place to go to. And I think when you're up against the behemoth that is Man City, 
the the margins are so fine and we learned that like you know time and time again this season just gone where we put together by all means and purposes an incredible season and we got pipped just because we weren't exceptional enough and I think that we've been waiting for this moment to kind of introduce Arsenal back to the elite of English football so the next thing I want to ask uh, for yourself Drew is is the Declan Rice signing the catalyst that cements Arsenal's rise back to the elite of English football I don't know if it's singularly the catalyst I think it's just a piece of that 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 catalytic process. I think. How, how big a piece? <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe percentage wise. Uh, give me a give maybe me a twenty. How big the piece? Maybe twenty. Is. I think twenty five percent because I think the majority of the, the, the that 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 catalytic process is is Mikel Arteta and Edu and the way that they've kept faith in the project and incrementally seen us improve since they've come in and actually. Not just come in because a, a lot of fans and our own fans included like to kind of beat the club over the head with the early deals we saw under Arteta. And I do think the vast majority of those were came down for two, two factors. One, the money just wasn't the same as it is now. And two, we still needed some kind of reinforcement at the period. But that doesn't mean that that was kind of, you know, how we were going to, you know, nail, nail our post to the wall moving forward. And I think you're kind of seeing that now where once they started to actually spend considerable money, Every one of those targets we've secured for a, a, a decent fee, at least, has all smashed it since they've arrived. Every single one of them. So I do think this is just kind of, again, another step in that process. I don't know if, if Rice is going to be the one singular force that propels us from, say, runner-up to champion. I do think he's just going to be the, another piece in the jigsaw puzzle that maybe we had been missing um, in a lot of different ways. And I think one of the things that people still aren't talking enough about is the fact that we know we're losing Granit Xhaka and I think everyone in this room and a lot of fans have, have come to really appreciate him or they already appreciated him irrespective of what happened with you know the Palace fiasco in terms of not just his experience but his leadership and the intangibles that come off the pitch and that's one of Rice's biggest selling points is that despite being 24 he's captain he just captained you know his club to a European trophy you know he doesn't really hide from performances or from criticisms so we were, when you're replacing Jekka with someone like that, and also we might lose we might lose Thomas Partey in that same light. Same thing, you're losing the experience, but you're getting experience back. So I do think that maybe can help us not stagnate, you know, not kind of like, you know, because there might be some questions about how good Liverpool are going to be next season, given how they played at the tail end of 22-23. We don't know what's going to happen with Chelsea. We don't know what's going to happen with United. So you kind of need that continuity still. At, at, at bare minimum, you cannot regress. And I do think Rice helps us not just stay even keel, but he moves he helps us move forward given like things like Varun said, he's already endeared himself to the club he already seems to be in an odd way, he seems to already be kind of bedded in with some of the relationships he has at national team level with you know the life of Saka, which we've already seen during England camps. Um it appears that he's already gotten on quite well with Arteta and Adu, so yeah, I think it's just gonna be another piece and we'll talk about more pieces later, you know, with the uh, Harvest and Timber, but um it's hard to look at the deal and think that it's going to bust just because of all the factors that come into it, not just who he is as a footballer on the pitch, but it's everything together, isn't it? And I think that's what's important. And when you look at deals in that light, you can kind of see maybe, you know, why we want him so desperately. Yeah. And for a hundred million rise and 105 million, I hope we'll just have to hope that he rises to the occasion. We're we're done here. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, 
as much as we could talk about Rice, me excited about Rice, we he's not actually in an Arsenal shirt just yet. But there is one player at the moment that is in an Arsenal shirt, and that is Kai Havertz. And Kai Havertz, I think, is a player that quite everyone or most people by like quite off guard. I do think that Drew obviously is a long-standing fan, but generally to hear that Arsenal were interested in him, it, it felt like it didn't really make much sense at the time. And then as more information has come out and as we've had more time to really kind of ponder it, I do feel like a lot of fans have kind of come around to it. Also added by the fact, that obviously, there's supreme trust in the players that Arteta wants at the moment, which is obviously completely and utterly well-deserved. But when you're thinking about Havertz, and I know that obviously he's probably going to be playing in midfield rather than as a, or usually as a false nine like he did at Chelsea. But, his greatest strengths still feel to me like they're in the final third. So the, the, the kind of the interesting thing that I'm thinking of now is what is a realistic output that we can expect from Havertz? And I'll, I'll point this at Varun, like in terms of goals and assists, what, what do you think would be a good season for Havertz next season? I think uh, I'm, I'm kind of comparing because I think Havertz is going to take up the role that Granit Xhaka played for us this season. And you can see how, with Arteta giving Xhaka the license to go forward the way he did this season and that little bit extra freedom, you could see that in Xhaka's numbers. And I think Havertz, while he's endured a little bit of a difficult spell at Chelsea, it's because he wasn't being played in that position, which is his favoured one that was more like what he played at Leverkusen. I would think if he had uh, combined... I don't know, 16 to 20 goals and assists from midfield, that would be phenomenal if he can hit that. That would be pretty good. Considering he might be playing as like a second number eight um, or if he's got any defensive responsibilities the way Xhaka sometimes had to do, then it would be amazing if he can go forward and get those kinds of numbers because the thing is playing striker at Chelsea, while it didn't really work, maybe it's developed his intelligence a little bit in that final third of the field. And so he may be able to play a second striker role at times, or Jesus might be able to drop second striker and Havertz goes in there. We know he's got the aerial advantage. Um, and he's quite good, actually, at scoring headers and placing his headers. So I think there's definitely going to be opportunities for him to poach some goals in the box. And hopefully we see Arteta do that. We know how good he is with developing young players with the skills that Arteta thinks they have. So yeah, sixteen to twenty goals and assists combined is kind of what I'm hoping for. Sixteen to twenty. What, what do you, Drew, as someone that <laughs> has watched Havertz from Leverkusen to now, like, do, do you think sixteen to twenty goals and assists is that something that you'd back him to get from? Um, and obviously, we don't know the role he's going to play, but yeah. I still think that he's going to be given the license to get make those runs into the box because it's one of the main features of his place. So like, like, what do you think? I mean, there's no. There's no point in spending the money we spent on Havertz and not looking at his greatest strengths and incorporating that into the kind of tactical evolution that we've seen. And just for context, you know, Jacka had seven goals and seven assists from midfield last season, just in Premier League, and then he had another two in Europa League. So um, you're looking Could at nine goals. Well. Could have had a hat trick yeah. against Wolves. Exactly, exactly, exactly <laughs> that. So you're looking at nine goals and seven assists in, what, 44-odd matches, give or take? So I don't think it's weird to suggest, you know, as Bruin said, for him to at least get similar numbers as Jacka did last season, if not eclipse that. Because as much as I love Granit Jacka, Kai Havertz is a more effective player in the final third and also in the middle third in, in some respects. And when you look at it, I think his uh, his best season at Leverkusen, he had 17 goals in, in Bundesliga. Um, 
was it uh, the season before he left for Chelsea, um, or rather he had that season, then one more, and then he left for Chelsea, I should say. Um, and he has that. He loves to be central. He loves to be involved. And it's not just he's not just a dictator of play. I do think Erdegaard's still going to be in that central role where everything will almost kind of run through him in that kind of quarterback sort of sense. But Havertz is a player that thrives on not just creating space for others, but also exploiting the space that others create for him. And one of the highlights of how we have evolved on the pitch is space is everything for us. When we're, when we're flying, we're at our best. How many times have you seen Saka and, and Jesus and Martinelli, Odegaard himself, even Granit Xhaka, exploit the space when we have that freedom of movement um, in, in, the, in transition in the middle third and the final for it to really kind of pick teams apart? And then when we struggle, it's because that part of our game is missing in any given day. So I do think that his intelligence on and off the ball, um, his ability to create when, when he was given license to, he does, he can track back and come deeper. He, he did have some stints at Leverkusen where he did play as a six, also as a deeper eight uh, in the midfield too, with Julian Brandt ahead of him in, as a 10. And he thrived on making those late runs in the left half space or through a central channel, arriving back post for service or, uh, through combination play through, through the middle channel, getting himself to good scoring position. So I think you'll see that because of how mobile Jesus is. And residually, when Landry Trussard plays centrally, which we all speculate he will be doing more so this season, it's very similar, right? You're getting a similar player who knows how to be on and off the ball, how to, how to vacate space, how to bring others into play. So I do think, I think Rune's spot on. I think if you're really looking at that, those kind of numbers should be what we could largely expect. But I think he has the capability of eclipsing that. For, for me, for sure, he has the capability of scoring 10 goals in Premier League for us alone next season, irrespective of uh, Champions League commitments. And, you know, if he plays in FA Cup or, uh, or League Cup, I'm, I don't know yet, obviously. Certainly not in the earlier rounds you would expect, but he's that kind of player. And I think that shows, given the money we paid and, and, and the wages we have now on the books with him, I don't think we, we make that, I wouldn't call it a gamble, but that commitment, if Arteta didn't see those aspects of him, uh, and, and know that those can come out for us. Mm. And well, one of the things that I noticed a lot last season was when we played at home, where we, like the, the, the sides we built up of, in terms of the left and right, were it was quite even at home. But away from home, we tend to lean towards building up the right-hand side. And I did wonder that as good as Xhaka has been, and I think he had a brilliant, brilliant season, did maybe his lack of dynamism stop us in those kind of like tough away games? stop us really feeling like we can build properly up that side. And maybe Havertz is, you know, the extra bit of dynamism that's really going to transform that side. So that'd be really interesting. And, you know, there's <laughs> there's another transfer we got to talk about um, because it seems like from the reports coming out tonight that, like, as you mentioned earlier, like Timber is seemingly on his way from Ajax for 42 million euros rising to 47 million euros. I think he's been the reported price. There's also been reports that, Similar to the Rice deal, Arteta made a point to to talk um, to Timber personally to convince him of the project, which is part of the club strategy in sense of when they can talk to these players and convince them that Arsenal is the best place for them. It, it leads to them saying to other clubs, I want to go to Arsenal, and that gives Arsenal a better negotiating position. And I think when you compare that kind of price with the the kind of price that like, this, this, for like for instance Lissandro Martinez went to Manchester United for Mike's last season it feels like and, and also considering that Timber was actually uh, Man United's first choice to to sign a centre back from from Ajax it feels like 
we've done really well to negotiate like a like a really really good transfer there so so Varun in terms of of that price tag 42 million euros rising to 47 million euros potentially like in terms of money like how good a deal is that do you think uh, it's it's incredible. I have no idea how we've managed to agree a deal like that, uh, given how much uh, Ajax have gotten from Man United, not just for Lissandro Martinez, but also for everybody's favorite fidget spinner. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like the amount of money that United have paid, it's it it's it's a testament to our negotiating team. Uh, you know, to Edu, to Garlic, that that we're able to have such good relations with such a good club and we know the type of talent that Ajax produces and it's beneficial. I guess it's proven here, but it's beneficial that we have good enough relations that we were able to have an amicable discussion with them clearly and agree on a very, very reasonable fee for a top young talent. Um, The fact that he's what, 21, 22, and he's very experienced already. He's won league titles. He's won cups. With Ajax, he's he's a, he's a leader already at his age. He plays with, you know, the experience and the wisdom of a player in their prime. So we're getting him for a very, very good fee. And that means that because he's young, we can still blood him into the squad gradually. You know, he doesn't have to displace Saliba or Tomiyasu or White or anyone from that right-hand side. Um, we can take our time with getting him in there while he gets used to the squad. But his abilities show that we can probably trust to put him in as soon as possible when needed. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. And we've actually um, got some questions. And I thank you so much, guys, for taking the time sending these questions because um, it's something that we really want to make a real part of the podcast where we're able to get some questions in so we can um, ask um, kind of everyone um, what their thoughts are on, on stuff like topical like this. I'll, I'll stick with you, Varun. Um, we've got a question from Boblex who says, <laughs> do you think that is all or may there be more coming in? Also, with Tavares being rumoured to West Ham, how much shall we charge them? 50 million, in my opinion. And should we ask them for the money up front? Um, I have a feeling that we're not seeing the last of the incomings. I think there's still more to come in, but now it'll have to wait until we've also got some outgoings confirmed. Um, I've heard Pablo Mari, his permanent departure is expected to be announced in the coming few days. Like we've said before, Granajaka has been strongly rumored to be leaving anyway to go back to Germany. Thomas Partey might be on his way out. And I'm just thinking that if we're losing both Xhaka and uh, and Partey, then Havertz and Rice are very good uh, replacement signings to come in and basically upgrades on both positions. But it does mean that depth-wise, we're no better off in that, uh, mm-hmm. in that regard. Like if you imagine the situation where we face the same injuries we did this towards the tail end of this season... At the moment, the signings are an upgrade on starting 11, but they don't provide our depth. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see another midfielder come in. There's been rumors about Lavia from Southampton. Today, I've seen Chuomeni yeah. from Real Madrid is on our radar, which I don't know how many Ornstein bombs we can handle, really, um, before Twitter <laughs> breaks. But if that one happens, that might be the end of Twitter. Um, I think there's still at least another midfield signing coming in. Um, and I wouldn't be 
overly surprised if we saw someone across the forward lines as well. Um, I think Nelson is great and can deputize at either wing if we need for Martinelli or Saka, but I think we might just be getting another one up front. Uh, in terms of Tavares to West Ham, I don't think I'm the only one that was annoyed with how nitpicky West Ham were being in this transfer. And the fact that I still haven't seen full confirmation. I think the details of that pay structure are still being ironed out, which uh, makes me not feel like doing West Ham any favors. If it were up to me, I would say uh, no less than 20 million. I think given Tavares' role in our squad, it, we'll, we won't succeed if we're asking for anything like 50. It'd be great if we could. But <laughs> tw 20 million, I would say, is what we should be charging them as a minimum for Tavares and do what they did. Insist on it being paid off in 12 months or 18 months. I think push back as hard as uh, as they've done for Rice. Don't make it easy for them. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, a lot of people were saying that we had... What I've, what I've seen referred to as a gentleman's agreement for us that around 80 mil we're just going to get the job done just for the end of the season and the European Cup final to obviously extend that to 100 million. So I do think for us to sign a player for, I think what, between 8 million-ish? I think 8 million-ish we, we got Tavares for. If we were to ask like 15 to 20, then then I don't think that's completely outside their own possibility for a club that we've just given 100 million to because we know factually they've got money for starters. Um, Drew, we've got a question for you as well from uh, Twitter handle Guna Madras, which is definitely Twitter handle of the day. Fair play on that one. And he's saying, assuming they play together in the first 11, and he's talking about Havertz, Rice and Erdegaard, what do you think these three can bring Arsenal's team next season? <laughs> I mean, does he mean in terms of silverware, just attacking output? That's kind of a well. He's, he's included question. a picture of the um that that kind of squawker graph that kind of has their their like play style graphs kind of over each other. So uh, I think okay. maybe he's talking about like the the performance, maybe like the style of play that they kind of would bring each other. I think for me, I think it's oddly uh, well, maybe not oddly, but I think it's probably more balanced than people want to give credit to, and I think that a lot of the time. Fans kind of feel like if you only have just like you know one deeper sitting midfielder that's shielding the back four, um, allowing two more forward thinking midfielders and and, and Havertz and Odegaard to maybe get on and, and and affect play in the middle and final third that you're going to be a bit um, call it short staffed in the defensive third and maybe you can get hit on a break. But I think that's kind of what a lot of the misconceptions about not just Havertz but Odegaard himself. I think a lot of fans have is that both of them are very capable of tracking back and we've seen that from Odegaard already. Uh, in an Arsenal shirt. A lot of people haven't really seen that from Havertz because Chelsea used him as a number nine. But when he played at Leverkusen, he was not afraid to, to press high up in a, in a more pressing system uh, in the middle and in, in, in opposition defensive thirds. He does track back. He's good in the air. He's not afraid to get stuck in. You did see a bit of that side of his game at Chelsea where he would get stuck in with tackles. Not consistently, again, because he's across the forward line, but he does have a, a bit more physicality about him than people kind of understand to no fault of their own because a lot of fans don't watch Leverkusen if you're a Premier League fan. So you, know, you can maybe dismiss that a little bit. Um, but I do think there's, there's a lot of balance there to be had. And because that the three of them are so uh, mobile in their own right, they can interchange a little bit. You know, there's nothing wrong. You know, if, if Odegaard has to draw back to receive from, say, whether it's Saliba or Gabriel, uh, there's nothing to suggest that Rice won't 
from every now and then make a run into the final third because we've seen that he can do that for West Ham, you know, and because five minutes can sit deeper as well sometimes. That opens up that kind of that, that play on the chessboard. So I think that you're looking at a, a, a midfield trio that can maybe even almost kind of be more so than what people are predicting on the surface, you know, that there's that kind of, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is at the moment, but just, uh, I don't know, kind of an ace in the hole kind of thing you might, you might not expect from them. I do think they'll be playing for creativity, plenty of goals. Um, I don't know if we'll see it every week. I think there's going to be certain instances where you might see whether if party stays or we bring in someone like Alavia. Uh, <laughs> too many I don't think is happening, but we can dream for a moment. Let's just say that does happen. I do think there's scope to say that given certain matchups, we might see something like uh, have it shopped out or move to a different position. And you might see a three where you have Rice and another deeper midfielder next to him. And then It'll you have really Rodrigo positive, in front of them. In, in what way? Nick, what do you mean? Out of, out of all the takes, <laughs> out of all the takes that <laughs> we've we've discussed over over our time doing the podcasts yeah. together <laughs> and the, the, the trademark cynicism <laughs> that comes out in so many of these leagues. <laughs> and, and Varun has just dropped... Tusha many to Arsenal, yeah. and you've said, "Well, you know, it might not happen." <laughs> so, it's, it's because it's because he's so happy that uh, we're doing a pod together. Again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly. I'm, I'm bringing out as much positive as possible because Verun is back. Um, no, it's more of just like I think maybe in a way I don't think it would happen. I was because there's scope to suggest that with him in Bellingham, you have uh, Kamavinga. And then you also have Modric is, you know, he's gone, if I'm not mistaken. This was his last season at the club or the next season's last season. Tony Cruz is, for me, incredibly overrated and not getting any younger. So if you look at those three, you have your midfield three. So why would Real Madrid let Truman go? I, and he plays pretty often with them as well, so it doesn't really make sense to me. But in a weird uh, alternate universe, I'm just kind of, you know, I'm giving a hypothetical about if we get a deeper midfielder, so Lavia is another example that we could see something like a Rice and a Lavia sitting behind, say, Odegaard if we need to counter what City brings to the table in, in a particular matchup, or if it's a different matchup in Champions League, if we're against someone like a Barcelona or something like that, where you know, we need um, something, something different on any particular day. But I do think that um, when you're looking at like Havertz and Odegaard together, it's not just going to be two players sitting in, 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 in the final third as, as tens. I think a lot of people have that misconception about both those players um both are very very capable of coming into the middle third and even dropping back into the defensive third and we saw that from Meza Ozil as well and I know that a lot of fans still to this day <laughs> he's a contentious figure amongst the Arsenal fan base but you did see how often Meza Ozil did drop back when we were building play or he did wood track back defensively I do think you'll see that from both those players also Erdegaard also played that way when he was with Real Madrid even Irrespective of how he performed on loan, you know, with Heron Veen uh, and Vitesse Arnhem, you still saw that part of his game. And with Havertz, you saw that part of his game when he was at Leverkusen. So there's more balance than people realize, I think. I think people are so afraid of getting hit on the counterattack because that happened to us regularly last season. But we didn't have someone like Declan Rice in the team. You know, um, I think that that gives us a whole new dynamic that uh, I think could be a real big hallmark for us this season. Yeah, I mean... But Bob Dylan said it. Shit changes, man. Shit changes. And um, <laughs> to be fair, right, we've spoken a lot about the players that have come in 
probably are coming in soon and look like they're coming in because you know transfers are sexy and it's it's really like it's really like nice to talk about those kind of players because you get to speculate on how they're going to play and where they're going to play and stuff. But I think um, another big thing about this new modern Arsenal is that the players that are staying as well. Like we we spoken previously about Reese Nelson, looks like he's going to sign a new four year deal, and also we saw today that Ethan Noineri, um who turned 16 in March, by the way. He was born in 2007. I have Pokemon cards that are older than this guy. Don't and... tell me that. That makes me feel so old. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> but for, for a long time, like for months and months and months, this, this, this thing has dragged on. Like We've heard so many times Chelsea want him, Man City wants him. I imagine there's probably loads more clubs that are after this guy. This is the guy that is the youngest player to like in Premier League history. He's, he's actually played a senior game for, for Arsenal against Brentford. And he's gone right up to the last few days of his contract before he's committed to us. And especially when you look at this time last year, when we lost Amari Hutchinson to Chelsea, it does feel like what the club have done this season and what the club are doing right now is I do think it's a very tangible thing when when you're a player at a club and you see players like Declan Rice coming in. Like maybe it's not the deciding factor, but I think it creates an atmosphere of knowing the club's going in the right direction that these players are probably basing a lot of decisions off of. And that, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that even though, in my opinion, for a player like Noineri to to go to like a team like Chelsea, similar, I think it was not the best career path for Amori Hutchinson to go down um, when you're like looking for first team opportunities and you've got Arsenal or Chelsea to decide from and you choose Chelsea to me that I don't know I don't understand the logic there but it doesn't change the fact that a lot of money gets thrown at these people like like these these are young kids and a lot of these clubs are saying to them we're going to make your style we're going to line your pockets and I think that Arsenal have done an amazing job at obviously convincing Ranieri who you know, I've seen him play a few games for for Wilshire's team, and he does look unbelievable. And I think that from when I watched him play, it does feel like the uncertainty of the situation has kind of weighed on him. Like he he, he doesn't look like unless he scores, he, he looks like like a player that's constantly in thought. Like he doesn't look as emotional as as you'd expect someone from his age. He's obviously very very mature. Um, so the first thing I want to come back to you, Varun. In terms of documenting the last kind of 12 months Arsenal, where we've gone from heartbreak at top four to second place heartbreak at the title, and then a summer which, again, is just, if it feels like everyone is seeing the path Arsenal going down, like what in your mind, if you were Ethan Nguyeneri and you were younger than Luke's Pokemon cards, what would be the reasons that you would stay at Arsenal rather than? choosing a city or a Chelsea? I think if I were Ethan and Mary, the first thing I would do is Google up what Pokemon cards are because he's younger. He must than know. <laughs> Don't tell me that. <laughs> he, may, he may not know exactly what it means to have real ones. He might have watched the show, but, you know, that's about it. Um, Perun think... shows violence today. Good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> oh I think... Uh, <laughs> I think if I were... Look... I mean, it's natural as a as a youth player that, and it must be flattering that you're getting interest obviously from a top club like Arsenal being in their academy, but then also the likes of Chelsea or Manchester city coming after you. But um, ultimately I think he, he, hopefully he's made this decision 
not just because things seem to be on the up for us right now and in the transfer window. It's because he's seen the things like you mentioned, like Omari Hutchinson, who left us for Chelsea and is basically vanished off the, off the face of the earth in that time because Chelsea are not renowned for giving a lot of time to youth products regularly, not the way we do or Manchester United do, that kind of thing. Um, Man City obviously are, have the ability to turn people's heads, but that's not because of their their stature in the game. That's just because of current situations, which we all know about. Um, I think he will have seen more than anything what we've done for players like Gabriel Martinelli or Bukayo Saka, um, the way that they've been given their opportunities and are now one some of the first names on our team sheet. They, Nuneri will have seen the fact that for simple things on face value that he was given a chance to play in the Premier League game at the age of 15. Uh, that was a sign to the whole league and maybe to all of Europe as to what we're doing. That yes, we're getting a talented team, but we're not forgetting our roots. We are still going to look at the Hale and youngsters and give them a chance if they've proven it. Uh, I think generally he will have seen all these things and in his mind or hopefully with the right guidance from the people around him, that's what's led to his decision to remain with us. And hopefully it you know, bears fruit in the coming years because he's signed not just agreed to the scholarship terms, but also the professional contract being signed at 17 next year which is another positive. Maybe that's Arteta's plan is to integrate him into League Cup ties or something next season, uh, like in 2024, 20, 25. But, you know, only time will tell. But it looks like he's made at least an educated decision right now. Yeah, I completely agree. And especially when you're looking at players like Cozy Duber as well, which is another brilliant young talent which has committed himself to Arsenal. It just It does feel like right now, the club are putting everything in place we need to put in to be successful, for not just now, but in the next uh, five to 10 years as well. And I think that's a brilliant place for us to leave it where, you know, I mean, last time we recorded was last Wednesday. And in that time, a lot's happened. So it wouldn't surprise me if we had a lot to talk about next time as well. But I've been very, very blessed to be joined uh, today by Drew and also a podcast debut of Arun. And all I can say to end it is welcome to the rice age see you later <laughs> that guys one I like, that one I like I love yeah. that one I'm here all week thanks, <laughs> thanks for having me on Odegaard is joining in and he's seen Martinelli extraordinary set it for Saliba Bukayo Saka beaten out by the race and touched it by Jesus Bukayo Saka Oh,